Hey guys, and welcome to the first episode of the Matt and Mates podcast. I'm so excited to share this podcast with you all. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long, long time, and I've finally managed to get it all together. I managed to get my good friend, Todd King, to be the first guest on the show. Todd has some great stories to share, and we cover quite a bit of his life. We chat about his career uncertainty during his early 20s, his stint on reality TV, and what it's like being a police officer. I really hope you can take something out of this chat. So wherever you're listening, please sit back and enjoy. One, two, three, four. G'day and welcome to the Matt and Mates podcast. Join me as we share some stories from some old and new mates. Todd, welcome. First ever episode, Matt and Mates. How you going? I'd love to say glad to be here, but it took me like an hour to get here, so uh, you're paying for fuel money. I'm pretty sure you're the one that lives far away, mate, but okay. We've got a lot to unpack today. You've had quite the life in 30 years. 30? 31. Oh, that's right. You are old as shit. Cool. So what I like to start with is a simple question. And you can either answer it right off the bat, or you can wait until later in the app. It's probably better if you answer it straight away. Be awkward silence, otherwise, Chief. Yeah, well, luckily, the beauty of editing. If you could go back to one moment in history and witness it with your own eyes, what would it be? Well, in the course of full disclosure, I've, you've obviously worded me up a little bit, and I've known that this was coming, but I had some time to think about it, and... Initially, I thought I'd go with something like a little bit more cliche, but I think for me, and um, something that's been on my mind probably for the last few months is I, every year I go to an Anzac service, and particularly this year I was down in Mandra um, at a service, and it was probably one of the smaller ones there. I don't know. I've never really been to many there, but there was only about... 200 people there and they're predominantly predominantly um dignitaries uh local mla members and that sort of thing not a lot of people just um attending for the sake of attending it was more officials and i just thought back to when i was a kid which like you mentioned was a pretty fucking long time ago um but i remember in jero obviously where we're from there were hundreds of people rocking up you know, and it's obviously smaller town, smaller population. Um, and I think after the COVID pandemic, a lot of people have kind of given away attending things in person. It's just become the norm to live stream shit. But I'd probably go back to 25th of April, 1915, Gallipoli Peninsula, Turkey. I think of all the moments in history, I think that's one that's completely underappreciated um, by Australians. And I don't think people realise that from the morning that we landed to that night, 2,000 Australians have died. And if you compare that to like modern wars and warfare, we, I don't know the exact statistics, but we haven't lost, I don't think, any more than 50 soldiers in the Iraqi-Afghanistan war. So... 
Yeah, right. I'd just in terms of its historical significance and something that I think completely um, galvanised and fortified and brought our nation together. Um, that's probably what I'd go back to and be able to see that as it unfolded. That was not what I was expecting from you. I bet I wasn't. I'm a very intelligent guy. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, we'll start from the start and go back to wee little Todd. Growing up, you're a Geraldton boy from the Midwest. Rangeway, represent. Yeah. <laughs> very proud of it, we could see. It's interesting going back because it's actually improved a lot um, since we lived there. But improved a very thrown away term these days. Gets a bad rap. School's really good now. Um, take us back to growing up. What was it like? Parents, siblings? Uh, so I've got, uh, obviously, mum and dad still together. Um, I've been together my whole life. I grew Give up... Kingy a shout out, would you? Shout out Kingy if you're listening. Probably um, not, but... Top bloke, great digger. Uh, so I grew up, I would say, in a low socioeconomic area, um, middle class family. Dad has pretty much worked as a, we originally was a panel beater, um, now he's an aircon man. So he's worked as a tradie my whole life. Mum's been a stay at home mum, and that kind of transitioned to being a stay at home grandmother. I've got Five sisters, uh, two of which aren't with us anymore, um, and the three other three of which, over the last few years, I've I've kind of improved and been on better terms with. Um, but like any any siblings, you have two sisters, you'd know that you go through periods of oh, you hate each other and then you like <laughs> each other. Hate love love hate relationship. Um, so yeah, I guess in terms of where I, I grew up fairly normal i think um in terms of where i grew up it was like i said a uh, poor area a lot of high crime rates um a lot of truancy in school and i think for, for my benefit and obviously understanding um indigenous people it was it was a high indigenous area uh so like a lot of my classrooms i was um, as a white kid, I was a minority, and I think that gave me a lot of um, perspective, not only into um, their kind of culture and upbringing, and um, I guess just different ways of living, and just just being open to um, learning about and understanding different cultures of people. I mean, my most people in primary school do French and Italian. Um, as a second language mm. learning, mine was Wajiri. No, so the local Wajiri. Um, do you still remember any of Oh, like keywords and stuff. But I did like study Japanese for like three years in high school. I don't remember anything other than being able to count to ten. So I think was it only they count to three and then it's classes many. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, I don't know. Sounds about right. You lived in the NT for a couple of years, so yeah, you probably well, know it's a whole different other language. But we'll go. That's not. Um, so yeah, no, I was. I, I was. A pretty active kid, loved, loved school, honestly, more than anything, um, predominantly just for hanging out with my mates, but always generally got a pass mark, so no, I, I would say I had a very um, real world upbringing, and I'm very fortunate for that. That's good, yeah. Um, 
And at every school you've been to, from what I'm aware, you're always head boy. Yeah. <laughs> Talk us through that. Uh, probably because it was the only one that wanted to fucking do it. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of deeper reasons to why I did it. I think at the time it was just a lot of teachers recognised that I liked to be there and I had an enthusiasm to just be at school. So I was pushed more than anything into applying for and um, participating in that role. And I liked it. Like I think my only legacy was um, Geraldton Senior High School, Geraldton Senior College, and uh, I made sure all the leadership group had special uniforms that were different to everybody else I think that's probably carried on but was <laughs> I, that's probably my only legacy that's better than nothing yeah um was there any reason for it though like is there anything from that that led through to you doing what you were doing now uh was it looking out for the little guy or was it just because oh, I just want to have that badge and wear that vest I think I mean the the ego inside of me wants to say probably for the former but I think a little bit of both, to be completely honest. Like, I, as you would probably know, have always kind of liked being the centre of attention. Get out. Uh, yes, shocking. Um, but, no, a bit, of, a bit of both. Like, I had grand plans to make all these drastic changes, but, you know, you're still just a kid and you're representative. They might ask you a couple of questions about, you know, what what changes you'd like to make or what things they can improve for students um, on a more social basis. But apart from that, it's just a novelty job. Are you respected by by your peers or is it just more of like, oh, yeah, he's just the head boy. Who really cares? Well, I don't know how the system works, but I think from memory, um, they vote you in so that your peers vote you in. I think that stands for something, I suppose. But... Um, after that, the teachers choose. So, yeah, okay. I'm I'm a man of the people. Yeah, well, that's that's one way. We'll go further into that down the track. Um, and what was it you always wanted to be growing up? Did the head boy st- stuff sort of lead into what you're doing now, or I thought, um, I don't know, how far do you want me to go back? Initially, what whatever your first thought from high school. I remember wanting to be an actor and I think that only lasted for a couple of years. I remember specifically I wanted to do that when I was doing drama studies and then um, somehow that... I did not know you did drama. This makes a lot of sense now. Well, yeah, I'm a little bit dramatic. Um, I remember my mindset transitioning and I remember thinking specifically... Actors, unless they make it in Hollywood, don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so I was like, what are my strengths? I've been doing really well in English class. So the natural progression from that was, oh, journalism might be a good idea. Um, read the news, obviously use my vocabulary um, to my advantage, but also get my head on TV, as we know. <laughs> Has always been a bit of an aspiration of mine. Let the ego take over. Um, well, perfect. You've moved on to the next part of it. So you've finished high school. You've decided, I want to become a journalist. Um, moving to Perth originally, what year, do you remember what year that was? Uh, I think it was 20. Yeah, I, well, I graduated in 2009. 
this is really showing my vintage. Graduated in 2009. I spent um, a gap year in Jero. Um, oh, so you did do the gap year? I did the gap I year. I thought you moved straight in. Oh. No. So a couple of the boys went straight across, which made, made it really good because, as you'd know, when you moved, you had me there. Mm. I had them there when I moved already, so I wasn't kind of going at it um, by myself. But um, I, I forgot the question. What was the question? <laughs> um, moving to Perth, like, how was it, basically? was what we're going to go into there. Oh, um, it's interesting because I was talking about this the other day. I still remember one of my most vivid memories from my teenage years is packing up the VT Commodore, first oh, ever car. Jeez, that base. Um, packing up the VT Commodore, it was literally full, boot was full. With the Rover's number plates? With the Rover's number plates, still have them. Uh, the back seat was full, pretty much of just clothes, as you can imagine. And um, vividly, my memory is of mum and dad standing in the driveway. Um, both crying, probably the only the second time in my entire life I saw my dad cry. And I think I got just out of Dongra, so say like an hour and a half from home, and almost fell asleep at the wheel and crashed my car. So <laughs> that was a terrible... I did leave at six in the morning, but that was a terrible start to my journey in Perth. But that's, the, like, that's all I ever wanted to do, and you'd probably know there's generally two trains of thought or two types of people those that leave their country town or their hometown move back straight away because they just can't hack it for whatever reason or it's just not for them or you stay and you basically um you grow and whole new life for yourself more or less and now i figured like perth is home i yeah. don't really see Jero's home anymore i don't know if you feel the same way but um yeah we'll go with that mm. Geraldton's just more of a destination to visit family now i find it almost a chore to go back <laughs> i think like I it's go nice back. seeing those wheat silos in the rear vision mirror on the way oh home. tell me about it but you go back and i suppose perth is the same to a certain degree but you go back and nothing's changed yeah everything's still the same they, well, they change one thing but it would be something that's about 20 years behind yeah well perth is already <clears> like <throat> five years behind yeah. the east coast and then jerry's 10 years behind that so that's about right but I don't know. I just uh, this the small small town living, um, country living of just I think limited opportunity, and I don't want to obviously discredit or just throw shade at people that want to live a simple life. You know, have get married, have a couple of kids, and continue on with whatever job that they have. I don't want to throw shade at that. That's obviously their version of happiness but that just wasn't ever yeah. for me I it just feels want... like you follow a pattern if you stay there and i wanted to experience something just completely different um so yeah i've i've moved to perth and never looked back awesome was it was a hard a lot of homesickness because obviously it. you've really i didn't have any well i think when you get to our age nearby 30 you kind of start to, I guess, put more weight into your relationship with your parents. You know, you start to see people that are close to you lose family members and then you, I think, start to have a little bit more gratitude of your relationship with your mother and father or guardians or grandparents or whoever it might be that you don't get to see 
as much anymore. So that was difficult and I think guilt more than anything. Mm. I feel guilt because I know that I don't get back to Geraldton to visit him enough. Like he comes down, but uh, I'm very aware that I could put in more effort, you know, and I haven't over the last X amount of years, but that's something I'm trying to rectify and um, just, just be a little bit more compromising at. It's a lot different. You've got a whole life ahead of you now. Like you can't just drop everything to get down there. You'd probably have to plan four, five, six weeks in advance. Exactly. And like, I'm aware I don't have kids and I'm I'm not married yet. And that'll, um, that'll put more strain on, I guess, that relationship and being able to go up and visit. But you can only do the best you can do. And I know that I appreciate even more so now the times that I get to spend with my parents. And I know that they appreciate it as well when I get there, even more so because it's it's quite uh, rare nowadays. Mm. You cherish that moment a bit more. Mm-hmm. With the journalism, it was something that you wanted to do. Short-lived. You've done your entire three years of study and mm. then it's just not something you've ended up going down that track. Well, well, at what point did you realise it wasn't for you? Um, there were a couple. And to be fair, I don't think anything that you study or say like do your apprenticeship at, I don't think it actually can ever 100% prepare you for what the real world is going to be like. Mm. And actually, oh, for sure. Um, the autonomy of the job and what that's going to entail and, and require of you. So... I found that out the hard way and the hard way being a fucking $40,000 debt or hex debt uh, that I've only just pretty much finished paying off but that's nice for some it gave me (laughs) you'll get there mate you'll get there it gave me um, a lot of uh, perspective and I think it opens this is uh, referencing like university life I think it opens your eyes to uh, a lot of different things, a lot of specifically a lot of different trains of thought, um, cultures and ideologies, and that's probably the main thing I took away from it because mm. I don't ever want to work as a journalist um, again. Uh, but I just got that life experience, and to me, I reckon that's that's worth forty grand. Yeah, I think it's. If I had my time again, I'd probably get a trade. Uh, but you live and you learn. I probably decided within a year of working as a journo that I didn't want to do it. And the, Is that the year during like your prac placement, like the time you would have been doing to see what it's like? Yeah. So I was working in Geraldton and I was, I was pretty autonomous. Um, I think it was just me and a uh, videographer or camera operator slash um, journalist there. Just the two of us having to basically make it on our own. And she was, she was great. She was really helpful. But the attitudes towards, and we know you can switch on any news program at six o'clock at night. Mm. And what is it though? It's generally, it's generally bad news. Oh yeah. It's always bad yeah. news. Yeah. So you get into a mindset of hunting for bad news. Mm. And I guess in a, in a way you, you glorify suffering. Bit of a negative impact to your own mental health too, that would be. 
It is, but I did it for such a short period of time that it didn't really have much of an impact on my mental health, but it was just the attitudes of, yeah. I guess, to put it bluntly, like basking in suffering. And yeah, so you're basically hoping for something bad to happen, so you've got news to report. Exactly, and I just didn't want to be that person. Yeah. The thing that really, um, Lord, that I'm really grateful for, though, is that gave me an insight, obviously, from doing crime reporting to see the great impact that police have. And it's literally opposite sides of the fence. Mm. You know, they're, um, I guess, in the midst and in the thick of things. And I'd thought about it for a long time, but that was the motivating factor behind me wanting to sign up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, perfect. Well, that takes the next side. So once you finished uni, you straight away knew you wanted to be a police officer? I did. Um for a number of different reasons, uh, I was I was with someone at the time who was really negative about that idea, and um, would <coughs> pardon me would flat out say that I didn't have what it takes, and I wasn't fit enough. And at the time, I was going through injuries from footy, and she, um, for lack of a better description, just shat on my dreams mm. and said that I just wasn't fit to do it um which is looking back it's like dumbfounding how you, you could you, you let could that sort of be in, i suppose be in love with someone and have that yeah yeah someone pushing you back on something you're passionate about yeah hold just just completely holding holding me back so i was kind of lost for a couple of years didn't really know what i wanted to do um well, sorry, I did know what I wanted to do, but um, a just massive seed of doubt was put into my mind, and um, it wasn't until I left that relationship that I decided on my own that that's what I was going to work towards, and that's what I was going to do. Yeah, perfect. So it was just a bit about going through the motions until finding what it was you wanted to do. Yeah, and <clears throat> that at the time had a lot of impact on me because. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I'm sure a lot a lot of people that we're close to have. But you're you've just studied for three years, four years, whatever it might be, mm. and everything you've worked towards um, is now something that you don't want. Everything that you thought you were going to be and going to do, your complete identity. Um, has basically just been shattered and you mm. you've I, I spent probably two years just lost and fortunately for me i had good people around me and um no, are you pointing to anyone in this room in particular uh handsome man sitting across from me but <clears throat> it was when i was living with you on manning road and oh, shout out manning road <laughs> you guys 115 baby um you guys were all really supportive to me during that time oh we were just as lost as you are yeah, but yeah, I think we were we were probably at different different ends of um, like our university experience. I think I don't know whether you sort of went through this too, but everything felt sort of structured as you went along in life. Like you'd finish school, and you knew that once you finished school, you had uni to go to, mm. and then you go to uni, and then you know when you finish uni, you have work to go to. Mm. But then I found myself even when you finish uni and then you went 
got that job, you didn't actually have the next step ready. Mm. And that's where I started to feel lost myself. I don't know if that sort of is similar to you. Well, yes, if you don't, if, if you don't have a goal or a destination, and I don't think this is like a, a negative thing. A lot of people live their lives, you know, just, I guess, living in the moment and not planning for what the next step is and what the next ambition is. But that's just never been me. You know, I see people that we know traveling the world and I don't know, like living in different countries, living, mm. living on boats, doing... Moving to the Northern Territory. Moving to the Northern Territory. <laughs> Um, and it's like that, that might be like your way of living, but that's just never been for me. It's always been about what my next accomplishment is and, um, how that's going to affect the world, Mm. whether that's, I know that's like, that's pretty grand thing to say, but my specifically how it's going to affect my world, Yeah, the people around me, the people I have, um, interactions with every single day um and that's that's been always been the thing for me i I want to actually i'll I'll speak about that later on i think when we talk about yeah work no definitely um and process of the place for so like you've you've wanted to become one what was that sort of process like there was steps to it that Mm. you had to take um Mm. at how did, how did you go going through those steps? Was it just challenging or was it always just sort of like something to look forward to each time you ticked one off? It's all, it was. It was like any goal. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say it what, was... What type of time length was it over? So for me, it was probably two, two years. Um, initially, just getting... Like I said, because I, I had some really bad injuries from footy. So it was getting my body right. Um but also just speaking to people, speaking to people that have done the job, um, considering other little things that I might've wanted to do at the time and just being sure that that's what I wanted to dedicate the next 40 years of my life to. Mm. Because, and I say this to my nieces and nephews, to people that are in their early 20s who feel like they're in a rush to sort it out right now, you might be in the workforce for 40, 50, possibly even 60 oh, years. Oh, now time it's going to be like 50, 60 years. <laughs> exactly. Like the retirement age is only getting pushed back. So if it takes you an extra three years to work out what that is that you want to do, there's absolutely no problem with that. And it's nice to say that like now I'm on the other side of it because when we were in that position where we were lost – and we didn't know what the next step was. It? it scares you shitless. So I don't know. I just took a couple of years. As you know, we worked. We worked. I well, I worked at the bottle low. Oh, the BWS. And yep. then I brought you blokes in. <laughs> um, and then obviously working in supplements. And you guys also followed across. It was just you know a pattern. We saw you. Think back though, like I, I have nothing but fond memories from those years. Those years, because oh, yeah, between like twenty twelve to twenty fourteen, we were all working at the same place, all living together. Albeit you had to share a bed, 
<laughs> Cheers, Jethro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I look back and there some of the, the coolest memories of my entire life. And that was a fucking shithole that we lived in. Oh, yeah. Like, do you remember, like, the stove and the kitchen? Mate, we didn't even have a kitchen bench. Didn't have it a kitchen bench. It was just the dining room table. Dining room table, a sink, and a shitty little old, maybe, like, like two burner heater stove. Oh, it was terrible. Um, but definitely some of the best times of my life, and that's obviously where I met Stromy, and that opened up another group of friends that yeah. I still keep in contact with today. And so. I think it just the fact that how bad it was... It just made us appreciate the finer things so much more. But it's a rite of passage, I feel like. Like, you go to uni and you live in a shithole house. Oh, yeah. Paying exorbitant amounts of rent. Um, but it's just the, the fun experiences that you have with your mates along the way that make oh. it... If you got the right people, it makes that journey so much better. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, great. Um, then you've applied for the place... You, all of us sort of know this, but there'll probably be a handful of people that don't. Mm. You've got that letter come through the door and you've been told it wasn't the right time for you. Yeah. Actually, funnily enough, I don't know if you remember this, um, your girlfriend at the time messaged me when that letter came in and she actually opened up the mail and said to message me straight away saying, he's been rejected how do I tell him? <laughs> and I'm going, well, one, why did you even open up the letter? Why I don't think, I, like, I, don't think I, know, I know the content of this. I think I vaguely remember being told, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, she, she just, she decided that she saw the letter, opened it, saw it obviously wasn't the result we wanted mm. and messaged me right away to say, how do we break it to him? Can you break it to him? I'm mm. saying, well, if you just left it in the letter, can you seal it back up so he can open it himself? <laughs> But yeah, that's ideally like you've, you've been told it's not the time for you and there's a bit of a wait period involved to try again. Like how, mm. how did that feel at the time? Like, spoiler alert, you do become a cop, mm. but initially your first thought and then how that sort of impacted you going forward. Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because at the time I felt like pure dog shit. Um, but it's all a part of the project and mm. the resilience and getting to where you want now. Um, I don't think there's really much in life that I'd go back and change if I had the opportunity, and that's certainly not one of them mm. because I think at that time I was about 23 or 24. I don't think I was ready um, knowing what I know now. So... Chances are, with anything, you'd probably get in, you'd adapt. But I think in in the course of how I developed my life and the opportunities that I had after that, that's been completely life-altering and I wouldn't change any of it. But mm. at the time, it was like anything. It was, it was terrible. I felt that sense of like... Um, of loss and I was lost and I didn't really know what the next step forward was. Mm. Fortunately for me, it wasn't a flat out no, you're not um, yeah. fit to, I guess, um, undertake that sort of duty. But yeah, it's... It's it's a 18 month wait before you can apply again. Yeah. Is there any reason for that? 
you never know. They don't, they don't tell you or give you any feedback, but I knew within myself that, and I've always been immature for my age, always been a bit of a goose, but at the time you have no idea. So you just take the time to, I guess, recoup. And um, it was almost a good thing for me because if they had said, um, I don't know, you, you, uh, yeah, you're too immature or maybe your physical result, results aren't right or there's something that you could um, improve psychologically to be more prepared, I would have just honed in and focused on that yeah, one thing. Yeah. Whereas for me, from there, it was about improving myself. In all aspects, instead of just focusing on that yeah, one. Yeah, in, in every aspect. So um, that's what I endeavored to do. I got, I got fitter. I put myself out of my comfort zone a lot more yeah. and I got more life experience and I'm pretty fucking thankful for that. Yeah. No, you can see it definitely switched something else on in you. You were still an absolute goose the whole mm-hmm. time, but you, you can sort of see something changed. Mm. Um, and then, well, you've got 18 months before you can go again. Comes the real question. You've decided to apply for reality TV. Yeah. What sparked this interest? Can I say just get my head on TV? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was always that dream, wasn't it? Um, it was, no. Like, it stemmed back quite a long way. I always... Um, I enjoyed being on TV when I was a journo. I thought that was super cool. Um, still really hate my own voice on... Whether it was, like, on the show or on your mate's podcast... Oh, mate, I have to, I have to do one to edit this, so I'll have to hear um, it all again. No, I completely hate my own voice. I don't think that'll ever leave me. But I I remember I'd been single for 12 months or so and completely not at all even opened my mind to the idea of being in a relationship or even just being vulnerable with someone. So... A good friend of mine recognized that and she actually sent me the link to apply for The Batchy and Love Island. And oh, that's right. You did apply for Love Island. I yeah, you were, I'm pretty sure we were living together at the time. Yeah, yes. Because oh, I remember distinctly, I've got a video. Um, it was before my audition and they say on the um, like prep form that you have to, like, you have to get photos in swimwear. So I was like... Is this the one that you're shaving? (laughs) So I'm in... This is another absolute shithole of a house that we were living in together. So I'm in the bathroom. I've I've covered myself from head to toe in shaving cream. And I'm using like one of those shitty... I shouldn't say shitty because I still use them. And I might might need an endorsement one day. But um, shitty little big pink razors (laughs) with I think maybe one or two blades to shave my entire body. I reckon it would have taken me easily 60 minutes um but yeah so i applied for love island um had a few chats with them over the phone got the call back and went in to one of the hotels in perth now i've gone up this i've um gone up the levels gone into basically like a big open waiting room behind a conference room and there was only three other guys there now Compare that to my batchy experience, there were hundreds. So yeah, right. Which is what I expected. I've walked up, three other guys there, and I've just gone. These are the most good-looking 
motherfuckers <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. Straight away comparing yourself. Like I was, I was in decent shape, but like I've, I don't know if I've ever had abs. And these blokes were like six two. You could see they were ripped through their shirt. I'm like, absolutely no chance. So I went into the audition, and it was what I expected. Like mm. I got sat in a little room. And um, I think I was just talking to someone through um, like a two-way camera and they were asking all the stereotypical questions. What do you, you know, what are your um, five things you like about yourself? You know, why, why should we pick you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why do, you know, why do you obviously want to be on the show, but why should we choose you? Um I remember distinctly they asked how many other people I'd slept with. That's a bit full on. <laughs> whether I was a playboy, um, whether I liked to root around. And so I was not expecting any of that sort of stuff. Uh, so I thought I did okay in the interview because you're like, like anything really, you give them what they want. And everyone's multifaceted and I'm obviously have that little bit of an arrogant side to me. So I um, projected that, thought it went well did the photos, left, and then I found out that none of us four from Perth actually got on anyway. And that was the, I believe, the inaugural season of Love Island Australia. Yeah, right. We'll just go with Vic Bias on that one. <laughs> Standard, really. <laughs> um, but then like, your bachelorette experience is a bit different. So you mentioned that there was hundreds of people at the audition. Uh, yeah, it was, again, it was at a hotel in Perth. I think it was the... Fraser Sweets at the time. Yep. And gone up and basically joined the back of the queue. And I reckon there was at least 100, blo- 100 blokes there. And we've, I've walked in, walked up to the most Aussie ocker, cowboy looking bloke <laughs> that I could find. Guess it was. I already know who it is. Dan Hobley. <laughs> And so I started chatting to him. We got along really well. There was him and... Um, oh, It surprised me because Dan's like the complete opposite of you. Yeah, but I just know he, I just knew by looking at him he'd be really easy to talk to. And I was so nervous that I was like, I just need to talk to someone and put my mind at ease a little bit. So I got chatting to him and there was a couple of other nice dudes there. They took us into a massive room... Um, and so it's actually really awkward because there's there's a table, uh, like I think a four-person table on the head of the room and then you have your four casting directors, um, mm. whoever that whoever they might be from casting sitting there, maybe a producer from the show. And you're all just standing, think of like, like there's 50 of you, you're all just standing in the middle of a room. And so it's really awkward Someone then comes in and we kind of get underway. Now, I don't remember exactly, because I was so nervous, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember it was a lady standing in the middle of the room in the middle of 50 blokes, and she'd just throw out a question, and anyone could answer it. Oh, so it was a free-for-all? Pretty much, and it's like, all right, stand out from the crowd. Yeah, okay. And I found that super intimidating because that's not generally who I am I'm pretty confident in a 
small group mm. setting and within myself. Um, Around your friends anyway. Oh, I can walk up to a random person and start a conversation. But having that environment where you have to stand out from 50 other really good-looking blokes, uh, I found hard. I got, I got an answer in eventually, but we moved on. Um, and she basically went around the group and said, yep, you, 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 you can all stay. The rest of you piss off. Oh, no way. So that shocked me a little bit. And then we basically moved on to the, the second stage um, where I'd say there were 30 of us maybe left. And we had to take five minutes to come up with a dance routine. And it was to Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, great song. Uh, so we fortunately had a couple of professional dancers in our group. It wasn't Avan because he's from Melbourne. Uh, but we had a couple of them. So ours was actually not too bad. Uh, and then it was a couple of people chosen from the group had to approach one of the uh, casting ladies, pretend she was the bachelorette. And she was waiting on the red carpet and you had to introduce yourself. And you got the like fellows who stereotypically like, hi, I'm Daniel. How you going? Uh, how you going? <laughs> <laughs> and which is fine. Like some people do that on the red carpet, which is completely fine. But I was like, I, I still need to stand out, stand out yeah. here. I haven't had a big voice in the group. Um, my dancing is subpar. So I had to come up with something and... One of my favourite <laughs> pickup lines that I've ever heard was um, at the forefront of my mind. So I walked up to her. I was shit myself. I'm shaking. And in front of all the rest of the guys, I said, uh, I have this fork and this knife, but all I'm really looking for is a little spoon. <laughs> and fortunately for me, she pissed herself <laughs> laughing. So I was like... I just ad-libbed my way through the very brief conversation I had after that, introduced myself and all that sort of stuff. It's a good icebreaker. Good icebreaker. And then I've walked off and they convened for probably about 20 minutes, came back in the room, chose five of us, maybe 10. And then we moved on to, I guess, stage three. They take you up to this top, well, up a couple of floors you walk into uh, a hotel actual hotel room there's no bed no table nothing mm. in it except for a couple of chairs spotlights pointing in the middle of the room and a stool about yay high like tiny little stool and you sit in the middle of the room spotlights on you and they just throw questions at you I bombed it like it was absolutely terrible it was probably yeah I, I can't even remember exactly what the, the questions were but the answers that I gave were just so robotic and boring mm. and terrible and that's because I was nervous I didn't really want to show any, any of my personality so I left um, sure that I wasn't going to get on I got into the elevator and this is like a movie right I've gotten to the elevator. The doors are closing. A hand reaches through and stops the elevator. It was one of the casting ladies from Channel 10. And she said, I 
I've been there through the whole thing. You're completely different downstairs than you were in that room. Go downstairs, take 10 minutes, and then we're going to start again. So I actually got a second opportunity at the interview. No way. Which I spoke to the boys in the house afterwards, and that was pretty much unheard of. Um, so, And I've spoken to people since, and that's, that's never happened to them. So I'm assuming that's pretty rare. So anyway, went downstairs, got a coffee, took a deep breath. I'd already been through it now. So I went back upstairs and, um, yeah, aced it. Like... I was just myself. I felt more comfortable now. I was relaxed and it was almost like it was just a conversation. So uh, fast forward, going through all the checks and balances over the next three months and I'm sitting at Tammy's Cafe in Patisserie in East Victoria Park with the great man Matt Wood. You'd remember? I do remember this. And I got a call. a nice slice of banana bread at the time. Was it? Yeah. And I got a call. I've ducked outside, and um, I don't know if any like anyone's been to Tammy's, but it's basically um, uh, big windows with uh, stool chairs that face out onto the road, so you can see outside and all the people walking by. And um, yeah, got the heads up. We're flying you to Sydney in a week. Pack your bags, and I've just like looked at you. <laughs> You've put your hands up as to go, what's going on? And I just start jumping in the air, just absolutely stoked. Um, so that was a cool, like, pretty cool moment was, that we had yeah. together. Unexpected. We're just going for a coffee, really. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I didn't expect to hear back for weeks. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and then it was off to Sydney. Um, and then how long in between? Like, you get told you're going on, and then you just, is it just within a week, two weeks, you're just flying out? Oh. Because you've got a full-time job at this point. Yeah, it wasn't long, but work knew what the go was and that like it could be a possibility. So I basically put in my notice and it wouldn't have been any more than, I think, 10 days, uh, which they were, they were really good about and I'm really thankful for because I didn't have an end date. It's like, well, you could be there for a yeah. couple of days or you could be there for months and you it's pretty it's pretty difficult you know with work what happens what happens next but they were on board i think mm. for a bit of exposure if, if not anything else <laughs> just a little sneaky plug of nw i did too i wore some of the merch while i was on on camera so um and then you're flowing out there you got to experience it how what was your thoughts getting onto set and just being like 10 well, two weeks ago I was just working for Nutrition Warehouse and yeah. now you're being told this is it. You're in front of a camera. Is it 24-7 or most hours of the day? Most hours of the day. How does that sort of change? Does your whole life then become like more of a structured script or is it just... I've had this conversation with you obviously before about what it was like um, and I've had the conversation with a lot of people but everyone's experience is different and i think dating someone and being friends with people from different seasons that opens your eyes a little bit into how um yeah how how different the experiences can be but i probably yeah i loved every second of it Mm. it was nerve-wracking at first and not a lot of people know this but my entrance obviously stood out and I was originally supposed to come in on a horse 
with full proper oh, chain mail body armor on. I went out into, I think it was Byford, this before I lived out that way, but like I went out to Byford and got horse riding lessons. Probably spent like 500 to to $1,000 because I didn't know how to ride a fucking horse. And they told me that I was going to be coming in on a horse. Now I got there and they've handed me this, this is like the day of the red carpet. They've handed me a plastic suit that A, doesn't really fit me, but B, doesn't even hold together. So I was a little bit disappointed, but it completely ruined what my entrance was going to be. So I had to basically ad lib and come up with something on the fly. I thought back to the interview and the casting process and I was like, well, I used a silly little dad joke that got me here. So I decided that I'll uh, take that momentum and carry that forward. And as we all famously know that line now, going into that side of stuff is you mentioned before you, it was like an unsure amount of time there. Did that sort of drive you to be like you were in the interview more noticed knowing that if you don't show your face as much, there's a good chance you might be gone within three, four days versus sticking it out for a longer period of time. Mm, There's definitely that pressure and you will see when you meet, I think you've met a couple of the guys that I was on the season with people are never truly what they appear on the show they are that but Mm. then there's so much more there's so much editing that would go on there there is but I think only the in the last couple of years they've actually started doctoring what people say Mm. and for example putting two sentences together they didn't really do that as much for ours so Although things can be taken out of context, you you say what you say. And I always felt that I had complete flexibility to A, say whatever I wanted, but also shape what I was going to be portrayed as. Because I know this now, and I found out later on in that season that they cast me as one of the bad boys, uh, as one of the guys that... Yeah, right. Originally wouldn't get along with Patty and would ruffle some feathers. And I can be that. And I probably showed in the interview that I could do that. But uh, for me, that's not that's not what I was and that's not mm. what I wanted to be seen as. So, so you went for more of the organic approach instead of trying to be someone you weren't. Yeah, I was completely myself, albeit a very polished version of what I am. I mean, yeah. But... <laughs> Knowing you for some time now. I got to the point where I was going into interviews we'd inter- and we'd interview with producers in the, um, I want to say, I was just going to say the diary room, <laughs> different show, wasn't on that one. I mean, there's no, it's not too late. <laughs> but it's like, a, it's basically like a little donger that's, um, or a um, shipping container that's got a nice rose flower candle set up inside it so we do those um, interviews every single day they normally go for an hour some guys went for over two hours closer to three yeah right I got to the point where like I've been a journo I've not been a producer but I've been a journo so when someone's asking me a question I understand I think a little bit better than most why they're asking that and what they want from it so I got to the point where I was saying to producers I know what you want me to say. Just 
tell me what you want me to say outright and if I agree with it I'll say it in my own words so it got to the point where my interviews were going for 15 30 minutes and I'm walking out and the boys are like oh he must be getting the the ass like they're not even really talking to him why are your interviews getting wrapped up so quick and I got called a producer's puppet because of that but like I said well, I was you, still you saying what, what I agreed with and what yeah. I wanted to say I just didn't want to sit in a fucking room for three hours feeling tired and claustrophobic yeah trying to get the right thing said yeah and they will they'll sit there and they know what they want so they're going to ask you the same question paraphrased or rephrased five times if they're not getting what they want so tell me what you want if I agree with it I'll just say it it's yeah. pretty simple uh, so that was an interesting experience and I think that's what made me to the guys in the house it made them very surprised when I was as success as successful as I was yeah yeah and for anyone that hasn't seen the season spoiler alert you made it all the way to the end finishing second big tears yeah <laughs> It's a well-known joke, but how did that feel like initially knowing you were going to the end and then what changed in, so you, at one stage you're living in this big mansion with how many other guys? 20, Okay, can I, can I just, can I just, I'll stop you there. It's actually not a mansion. It's a pretty decent house with fake wallpaper, <laughs> fake flowers, and a lot of like really good lighting fixtures. So... That was my experience. The house, the house was like a farmhouse, and we all slept in bunk beds. Which, looking back now, at the time you're like, "Oh, this sucks." But I shared a bunk bed with Tate, which not many oh, people yeah. actually know. So we got along. The guy you lost to. The guy I lost to. So we actually got along really well, um, and we're probably a little bit closer because of it. And that's why at the end that I was just happy for him. And. So you, in the final two, or is it the final four, things started to change that all of a sudden, instead of being in that house, you're now separated from everyone? Yeah, so that's where I think the shit gets real, more or less. Now, you're in a situation, and a lot of people ask me this, specifically people that are close to me, how can you fall in, some, fall in love with someone that you've only known for a couple of months mm. and that you've not spent that much actual time with now I completely get that and how that would look from an outsider's point of view but you've got to remember that when you're on a date uh, with the bachelor, bachelorette whoever it may be you're with them from 8 in the morning sometimes to 8 at night you don't have phones you don't have outside distractions you have very concentrated time with them so even though i'd only been on a handful of dates that equated into like hours and hours and hours of time actually spent getting to know each other and um i drank the cordial a bit (laughs) to be honest and i think you kind of can't help but do that because yeah you don't have access to the outside world you don't have access to your friends and family you did have to lock your phone up didn't you they take your phone and the best you get is Netflix on the TV. So you don't even know what the footy scores are. So all you think about, 
24-7 is whoever that person is, what your next date's going to be like, how you're going to stand out, how you're going to impress them, basically how you're going to win them over. And the boys, it's a little bit different. I know the girls, there's a bit more bitchiness and um, just, just, I guess, grouping and segregation. But for the guys, it is like school camp and we all just get along. We spent nearly every day just going, like, gymming, mm. tanning, not laundry. <laughs> <laughs> nah, a bit of laundry. But, like, we spent all day gymming, tanning and just talking shit, basically, shooting the breeze with the guys. And that's why, uh, that's why I made it easy in the end is because you just made lots of mates in there and we mm. just tended to get along. Now, back to your question of the last few weeks where you split into four they take you from the mansion and they put you in hotel farmhouse a farmhouse and they put you in hotel rooms uh i think separate hotels so that you don't bump into each other and then from there you're put with what they call a minder which is basically just a bodyguard that makes sure you don't run away um and they spend every day with you and I was so fortunate we are, I had a guy who he took me canoeing in the harbour and he took me hiking in the Blue Mountains and we went to so many different places I later found out you, he wasn't allowed to or supposed to yeah, right. but he made my experience bearable and I think that he actually is, treated you like a person yeah, so like, just, yeah like a mate and that made my experience so much better than the rest of the guys I think but yeah it's that last few weeks where you're all separated, that you don't get to talk to each other and all you think about is, oh, all right, so I know that Bill has a date with her today because I know the schedule. Yeah. I wonder how that's going. You know, I wonder what he's doing to stand out. I wonder what Tate's saying to her. I wonder what she thinks of Charlie at this point in time. And it just, it's all consuming. So did I drink the cordial a bit? Yeah, but... It's a lot more intense um, and a lot more concentrated time than people actually realise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You've you've finished up. You've finished second. Come home. I've picked you up from the airport. In the in the NT in Darwin. In the NT, yeah. See you in the NT, baby. <laughs> Hence why I had to go back there and see it in my own eyes. Uh, you've come home, and then obviously filming's ended, but the show's not going to be on TV for some time. Mm. You can't really break any news to us at all i sort of had a bit of a understanding what was going on um but do you, do you want to tell that story i think i think to be to be honest like i've told the story a hundred times but what was your recollection of finding out finding out oh i knew something was different because you were i can tell when you're in a good mood and a bad mood or you're holding something back and i remember coming over the next day because you hadn't slept for some time and pretty much walk into your room, dark, and you've just broken out in tears. Mm. And I just remember giving you a hug, and you didn't even have to say anything. Mm. I pretty, I understood exactly the situation. You were finishing second. It it was it definitely wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it was just one of those things that like you've been hammered through your whole whole last two way two months, being told. This is the girl. You're fighting for this girl. And then all of a sudden, you didn't get her. All the way to the end and you didn't get her. So 
I can understand completely why you'd be reacting. Did it seem silly? (sighs) To people that don't know you or wouldn't, like I haven't been on the show, I don't know the experience, but in that amount of time, like you're going to build some connection with someone. You only get shown on the TV what an hour and a half's worth of the show. As you said, you're with them for three, four, five hours in a day, one-on-one, and they just choose the edits they want from that. So yeah, definitely makes sense that you're going to build some type of connection over there. Mm. Like, yeah, two months, maybe some people don't get built in that amount of time, but I don't think it's silly at all. Well, the hardest thing for me was, I don't know what you thought when I stepped off the plane, but um, to avoid the paparazzi, they sent me on a plane from... Actually, you know what? I'll rewind a little bit. I went back to my hotel room. Um, I sunk a load of piss, just pouring down the Coronas. I probably cried for the majority of that night. Broke down probably a couple of times. And then it was the next day that I was set to go on a plane back to Perth, which is what they told me. I went on a plane from Darwin to Kununurra, to Broome, to Perth, with hours, hour, hour, couple hour stopovers each Jeez, time. So right. what should have been, I think that's a four it's hour a flight. Four hour flight, yeah. Was about 13, 14 hours. Oh, that's gross. So I was jet lagged. I'd just gone through hungover. <laughs> we all know you don't have I actually, hangover. I promote responsible drinking. <laughs> and that was probably the only, only time I've ever done something like that. And then I got back to Perth. I've got you and Jake meeting me at you and Jake. Yeah, meeting me at the airport. So stoked and happy to have me home. And they've just hounded into me for the last five hours that I cannot tell anybody. It's in my contract. Mm. You can't tell anybody the result. Um, there's things like sports bet, massive money being betted on the result of the show, even though it's pre-recorded. So the good little boy that I am, I towed the line to a T and I didn't say a word to you guys when I stepped off the plane. Then we went out with the boys to Benny's in Frio. That's right. And had beers. And I don't think I've ever told you this, but I left you guys for about 15 minutes and went and broke down in the bathroom crying. Yeah, you definitely kept that quiet. Yeah, so I came out, pretended like everything was okay. If anything, I knew that you guys you guys know me, so you'd be able to, I guess, read me a little bit better than most. So I actually like made a concerted effort that night to go and talk to girls and make it appear as though um, I hadn't won. And then in my head, I was like, I'll do the reverse and I'll do something completely different the next time. Yeah, so you try to play mind games with us, basically. Yeah, so I was like, I need to really change this up and do completely different things every time I have an interaction with my friends because otherwise they're going to know the result. Mm. And a couple of boys love a bet, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, when all this money starts rolling in for take to win from Perth, Western Australia, I'm going to get in the shit. So I was like, I'll just keep them guessing. I'll do different things with different people. Tell them all different things because I know they're going to talk and it's just going to be one massive mindfuck yeah. for everybody. So 
yeah, fast forward a couple of hours, I think you dropped me off home and I, um, yeah, broke down into tears and that's when you you walked in and found me sobbing and I think, no, I know from that point on you were the only person that knew about it um, until it, the, the finale aired. You made me delete my sports bet account too, so thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> did you make another one, I be honest? definitely did not. Um, but I think it's, yeah, yeah I, without you knowing, um, I think I really would have yeah, had a hard time. Yeah, it would have been hard, hard to contain that. I had a hard time anyway, but um, the saving grace for me was you were like the one person that I could talk to about the whole experience. So um, God knows what it would have been like otherwise because it was hard enough as is. I think they should expect that though. Like they're going to tell at least one person. Oh, I know. I know the some of the boys that like in following seasons and seasons prior that were putting massive amounts of money in betting, <laughs> knowing that they hadn't won. Like it's unless they have a life, they've got. They're not stupid. They've got to expect that sort of thing. But I did what they told me to do in light of yeah. They even obviously even flew me to Fiji to keep the uh, oh, I remember that. Going. Yeah, mm. um, you've the show's the show's been released. It's your name starting to get out there. You're wearing your knight in shining armor, and you've been known as I don't know was it the prince or the mm. prince charming? Was that the name they went with? A few different ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just watching that head grow as I say that. And <laughs> how long, long time ago? <laughs> long time ago. How was it like being in the limelight? Obviously, from Perth, it's a lot different. Our, the sh- those type of shows, we don't get all that filming in that here. Mm. So you were solely on your own over here mm. versus if you were over in Eastern States, I feel like you would have had mobs chasing you. How was it like being in the limelight here in Perth? Uh, I can say confidently uh, a lot better of an experience than I think they would have over East. I did experience some of it when I got flown over the finale and mm. for a couple of other um, media commitments. But I remember um, the show the show airing and I was still like walking down the street and just going to the gym and going about my daily life and no one was asking me mm. for photos and no one was really interested. Um, I think... In three weeks, I had one guy that said, oh, you're on that show. And then he kept walking. (laughs) So contrast that with night before the finale, I get off a plane um, in Sydney, walking down the escalator, and there's a group of about 30 people like that have either been on the plane and seen me on the plane Mm. or have see me walk through the airport and i was i remember distinctly i was getting a photo with this um girl and she was shaking right so like this group of i I think they were about 16 17 year old um school girls stopped me and like oh can we please get a photo with you and i was like yeah no worries like i have have a car waiting for me so i have to be quick i'm very sorry i put my arm (laughs) i put my arm around her to get a photo and she was like shaking like she was being electrocuted it was the most insane thing that i've ever ever experienced and that's all because 
Not because I have a skill and I'm famous. Not because... No one said that. Hey? No one said that. Yeah. Right, well, like, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't famous for anything other than having a camera put in front of my face, yeah. which is crazy to me because um, some of the highest paid people in media in Australia are people from reality TV. Yeah. And most of the time they don't have a skill. It's and all like, they've done is just go on a show. They're not, yeah, they're not, they're not a host. They're not a, they're not a journo. They're not an actor. It's just because they got a camera put in front of their yeah. face and now they're this, yeah, famous person. Not taking anything away with it. Like it's definitely an experience, but it's just compared to people that study this and work hard to get to it, mm. it probably would be deflating for them instead of just going, oh, I could just go on a TV show and build my whole life out of that. And that's what people do now. And I think that's my year was around about the turning point. I know there are a couple of guys in my season that just wanted to be famous. Um, there are a couple of guys that just wanted it to promote their own businesses back home. And then there are people like me that just wanted the experience. Mm. Um, I never thought that you could fall in love on a reality TV show. I thought that was bloody hoo-wocky bullshit. Um, but that surprised me. Yeah. You learned something. Now, be honest, getting noticed, was it a cool experience or did you get sick of it after some time? I didn't get sick of it. I know you guys got sick of it. Oh, the amount of times I got handed a phone to get a photo of you. Oh. Um, it was it was cool in a sense. Uh, we, we did get to experience some stuff along the way with you. Yeah. We got, we got to go to cool events. Yeah. Um, I got some cool promotions and I got to meet a lot of uh, people who are still have good friendships with today mm. the good thing for me is it's fleeting um and you get your 15 minutes and once the next season the next crop of recruits roll around you're basically a nobody yeah you've forgotten about and there's two patterns of thought to that there's people like me who enjoyed it for what it was and i just wanted to move on with my life and then there's yeah. people that never want it to end and that's where you see a lot of people will pack up and they'll move over east because that's where the market is. Yeah. That was never me. Like I enjoyed oh man, I enjoyed the free shit and the cool experiences, but I didn't ever want to make a career out of it. So although I considered going back for other reality TV opportunities, um, that was only gonna set me back and that's eventually why I turned it down mm. to have I don't want to say a real career because I don't think I think that's taking away from yeah. the hard work that people put into being influencers and uh, media personalities. But I'll say to go back to do what I really wanted to do and what I originally wanted to yeah. do. You saw it more as just a moment to take in and then just let it do its passing. Yeah, basically. And the. The experiences I had romantically afterwards were pretty terrible as well because I found that most of the females that were interested in me were only interested in me because of what they saw on the show. And I had um, I had a specific uh, lady that I was seeing for a few months. She basically told me that, yeah, I wasn't like how I was on the show and that she didn't really have any interest in me anymore. So although I got into the mindset of wanting to settle down and um, be with someone, afterwards 
when all the dust settled, I found that was probably the most difficult thing to accomplish because I was just a novelty mm. to everyone that met me. You didn't quite know who was there to see you genuinely versus someone that's just seen you on the show and gone, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing it firsthand. Oh, to be honest, man, I don't think anyone that anyone that I was introduced to or that went after me was actually interested in getting to know the real me. Yeah. I think so it was, it was just, just... made you dating quite hard over that period of time. Yeah, it was just a good story to tell their mates and that made it tremendously difficult for me and I had like I had I had good experiences but for the most part they were bad experiences so like anyone that's going on a reality tv show to particularly blokes like I can only speak for that view from that viewpoint but if you're going on reality tv to meet more women or let's say a higher caliber of women you're an idiot because that's not what's going to come from it yeah it's just going to be those I think to me you know those sorts of people they don't go for people from reality TV and they don't generally mix in circles for people from reality TV. So mm. um, that's one thing I had to learn the hard way and looking at where I am now, I'm with someone that hates that I was on reality TV, <laughs> like despises it. She, Christina, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she, won't, she won't watch it. Um, she never really knew about it and just has no interest. Although... I, I did see on her um, Netflix uh, most recently watch that is too hot to handle. So ah. <laughs> I think she probably likes dabbles in reality TV <laughs> a little bit. Maybe but, when you're not around. It's just another experience that you kind of... Yeah. That I'm very fortunate to be one of the very few people that have had. Because what? There's... I think there's been 10 seasons of The Batch, five or six seasons of Bachelorette and... That just leaves you with a handful of mm. a handful of, a handful of people, sorry, that have been runner up, and it's a very, very daunting, interesting experience to, to yeah. have. Yeah. Did you get any sort of like hecklers over the time? Anyone that sort of just looked at you and made fun of the fact that you went on the show? Anyone just? Yeah, my best mates. <laughs> oh, that's that's given. That's given over time. But anyone that sort of stands out where you're obviously receiving a lot of messages and a lot of people going, I saw you on this or mm. I love you, yada, yada. Did you receive any sort of messages out of them that was sort of like abusive? Um, any that sort of stand out from them? I was pretty fortunate in that I got a good edit and they, not that I got into much biffo or said many stupid things. But the very few things that I did say, they didn't include. So, like, um, Nathan and Patty's, um, I wouldn't say fight per se, but their disagreement on screen, I was in the thick of that, and they cut out every little bit of my involvement in that because it would have come across probably too yeah. controversial and um, maybe even argumentative. It would have but, made people on the fence about you. Yeah, so that wasn't included but after, it was pretty much all praise. Like, I don't remember too many people outside of my friends, like, taking the mickey. There were a couple of people that would say things like, oh, wow, you cried a lot, um, which... I mean, it's true. Which is true, <laughs> yeah. But it's also like, so what, you know? I'm yeah. a human being and... Um, that's why I now have a tattoo on my leg that say, um, boys cry. Well, it says boys don't cry, but the don'ts. Crossed out. Crossed out. It's a good one. 
but my favourite uh, interaction with someone that, with a stranger was I was at a bar, I can't remember which one, and there was a massive Maori bloke, probably about two metres away, and he was just eyeballing me. Like I'm waiting, I'm just just ordered, and I was waiting at a bar, and he's just staring at me. I'm like, this bloke's gonna clock me. Like I don't know if I bumped into him or something. And then he walks up, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, he's gonna go me here. And he puts his arm around me, and he says, mate, I saw you on that show, and when you cried, I cried as well. Oh, no way. <laughs> that, like that, will live with me for the rest of my life because. It obviously meant something to a lot of blokes out there. Yeah. And I know a lot of blokes probably only watched it because their missus was watching it. But I, I can 100% say that it resonated with so many guys yeah. out there because we just don't cry anywhere as much as we yeah. should. And a lot, of, a lot of males don't have that. They had, more people had empathy for you. Yeah, yeah. than sympathy. And they... A lot of males don't have that tool in their toolbox of being able to just release emotion through crying Mm. um, and being vulnerable like that. So if it inspired, you know, that guy, I'm sure it inspired others. And that, to me, made the whole experience worth it. Good. And I mean, it's been five years since then, but would you go on another show? Almost did. Really? Yeah, I was almost I was almost The Bachelor 2019. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I, I vaguely remember you going for an interview. I didn't realise it was mm. for that. Um, and then I had talks about doing it, not last year. Well, when are we thinking? So the start of 2022, I was in talks with them about possibly doing it, but then they went down the road of getting the three batches. And th- there are other things, like initially straight after, like... There are other things like Dancing with the Stars and mm. just random shows that explored a little bit of interest, but... Go to the jungle? <laughs> Survivor? Bit of, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But, I don't know, I just... Not for you. Not for me. And I think when I look back, if I was to do it in 2019, I would have been doing it for the money. And yeah. that probably wasn't the right mindset. I needed. A, I couldn't have jumped from one show to the other and I think made something um, long, something worked long-term. So I'm pretty glad with not having ever yeah. done it again, to be yeah. honest. So after that process has gone down, you're now a police officer. Mm. You applied again, got accepted. Yeah, you graduated. felt quite rewarded. Yeah, graduated in 2019, and I'll be honest, I haven't looked back. And... I think about all of the people that have I know that have since signed up and um, as they say joined forces and yeah I'm just I'm just really glad that I went through everything I had to go through to get there and getting there itself I think I'm really happy that I, I obviously got through but that I'm happy in doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Because like with journalism, you know, you never guaranteed your desired outcome. That's so it. I'm, yeah, just really content with where I'm at. Do you find that 
that rejection you got the two years before and then finally going for it again, putting all that effort in and everything that's transpired over that two years, you learned so much more and had so much more respect getting into the force. I definitely cherish it and I'm glad that not to discredit people that are um, entering in now, but it's a pretty well-known, um, I guess, topic that's discussed within and outside that it's it's a little bit easier now, especially on the physical side of things, to get through. And I think I came... I, I went through it an interesting time with COVID and I had that experience mm. and I've loved it. I've always... And ever since playing sport i've always looked for an opportunity to work in a team environment that's i want to say high risk but more so high reward yeah and it is it's like it's like working in a sports team where everyone everyone has their strengths and weaknesses but you're all working towards the same Mm. goal and that um, ethos of of teamwork and reliability i think is a is a big component of it being able to rely on those that are around you um is probably the best environment i've ever been in and it changes it ebbs and flows depending on exactly like where you work and who you're surrounded by but for the most part great environment wonderful people all with a common goal yeah everyone understands the struggle you all go through yeah it makes it a lot more easier And and it's not it's not easy like it's, oh, no, it wouldn't be. It's like any, it's like any job really, or any career. Like there are advantages and disadvantages, but for me, the the rewarding experiences um, probably aren't promoted enough or talked about enough. Yeah, like you're having a direct impact on the lives of others, specifically at times when they're experiencing the worst day in their lives. Mm you're there and although that can be draining to a certain degree there is i believe nothing more rewarding than giving back in the way that we do and all the cliche things making people feel safe um yeah was the interactions you had with police before you became a cop that now that you are one you look back at it and go, God, I wish I didn't say that to them or do that, act like that in front of them. Mm, not really. Like I was a dickhead teenager at times, and um, I did. I was at house parties. Uh, where of the, age, right? Yeah, <laughs> where the cops would rock up, and um, I don't know. You just you say silly little things, and you probably yeah. don't understand. You're naive to the the bigger picture, but not really. Does it I'm, make it easier understanding if you see people that like are obviously a bit younger and they disrespect you in some way that you look at it going like, well, I was once that age. I sort of do get it in a sense. Exactly, and it's it's not just us. It's it's any authority, whether you're a school teacher, yeah, dealing with high school kids, whether you're a cop. It doesn't matter what position of authority we're in there's a stage in everyone's life where they have an anti-authority mindset or at least push boundaries mm-hmm. and that's fine you know as you grow up you realize um everyone goes through that phase so you don't take anything personally um but no i was pretty good 
I was no. pretty good with cops. So I had I had friends of mine who they obviously they were police, as you know. We have friends yep. that are, were police officers before I was, and then um, parents of friends and all that sort of stuff. So I had a general understanding of what the job was, and from that I had respect pretty early for yeah. the job that they do. Oh, good. And you've t- you've accomplished already so much. What's next on the list to tick off? So good question. I'm actually pretty inspired by you, to be <laughs> honest. I want to go and live somewhere out of my comfort zone. Obviously, it was only a few years ago I was having this conversation with you and you mm. were probably in a... It was 50-50 of whether I wanted to move or not. Yeah, you very very undecided, but also I'd imagine... Um, nervous about the prospect of being oh, on yourself in an unfamiliar environment that was that um like you mentioned before just i'd always lived in my comfort zone mm. and i just started to go you need to get out of it because if you live in it it's nothing wrong with living in it but you never experience if you stay in it so definitely it was something rewarding i'm glad to hear that's something that you're looking at well i just want the challenge i think i've i've enjoyed over the last couple of years doing things that are completely out of my comfort zone well, in the last five years, doing things that are just so um, unfamiliar to me that I want to move somewhere. I want to move somewhere regional, remote, um, predominantly just so I can have and see uh, the direct impact on the community, Mm. immerse myself in the culture, uh, in local sport, do as much as I possibly can, uh, while I can because I'm still young I don't have kids yet which is something that's probably also on the cards in the next few years I hope yeah they're creeping up now mm, getting to that age so no I think change of scenery uh, and just putting myself in uncomfortable situations that are going to promote growth within myself mm. and just give me a better understanding of, of what I'm capable of improve my skills in what I'm doing and just holistically be and get better mate thank you so much for today i really appreciate it i'm looking forward to sharing these stories with whoever decides to listen i'm excited to see where this goes because i know it's something that you've wanted to do for a long time and um yeah hopefully this was pretty interesting and i'll plug it cheers appreciate it Thanks for listening to the Matt and Mates podcast. If you enjoyed the show and feeling generous, you can like, follow or subscribe on our socials and whatever platform you're listening on. And for those wanting to go that bit further, you can leave a review and share with your friends and family as well. If you have any recommendations on guests, give feedback or advertise on the pod, flick an email to contact at mattandmates.com.au. Stay tuned for the next episode when it drops. And as always, I love you all. Yeah. Yeah.